Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us on episode 61 of Health Talk with Dr. Kell. I'm Nikki Sterner, and today begins a series on what is memory. We're going to discuss short-term and long-term memory. Short-term memory is stored temporarily for seconds to minutes. It could be anything from where you parked your car to what you ate for lunch. Long-term memory is the process in the brain of taking information from the short-term memory and creating long-lasting memories. Examples could include things such as your wedding day, graduation day, or a special birthday. Welcome everybody to Health Talk with Dr. Kell. I'm Nikki Sterner and this is Podcast 61 and we're beginning a series on what is memory. Before we start, I'd like to welcome Dr. Kell to the show. Hi, Dr. Kell. Hi, everyone. Hi, Nikki. Hi, how's it going? Doing well out here in Oceanside, California. It's supposed to be 82 today, a little warmer than I like, but it's still nice. Wow, nice. Yeah, it's been hot. They call it Hot Atlanta for Atlanta. Uh, Definitely living up to its name this past uh, couple weeks. We've been in the 90s and sometimes over 100. Yeah, lots of sun. That's good. I well, love yeah. it. You have good air conditioners out there too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, they're working overtime. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. it's nice to have a variety. Yes, yes. So before we get started on what is memory, let's do the quote, which actually relates to memory. Okay. Nothing is ever really lost to us as long as we remember it by L.M. Montgomery. Uh, what do you think of that, Dr. Kell? So true. And today we're going to talk about why that matters and what it's really all about. I like to um, take pictures because I don't often remember things. And I don't know if that's linked back to like a trauma or something in my childhood or but like my best friend has like the best memory and she's always like you don't remember that oh my gosh like she tells me all these different memories and I'm like nope don't remember <laughs> so I tend to focus on taking pictures so that I will see and visual be able to visualize and then I do remember things when I see them so what about you well yes and talking today about memory and how it works in the brain uh, we'll talk a little bit about why that is. Why is it that you? some people need those visual cues? And when you see those pictures then, later, then you remember those events, right? Mm -hmm. And it starts yeah. triggering a cascade of maybe experiences related to that event or not, but depends on the person. But that's what happens to you. Very good. Yeah. I need the pictures. <laughs> well, and that's okay. And we'll talk a little bit about why. I, I just wanted to share a few things. And this is from an article called Human Memory in the Brain, and it can be found at human-memory.net. And uh, this is a group that uh, kind of studies the, the human brain and memory. Just going to start here with this article and share a little information here, and then we can talk about it as we go along if you have questions, Nikki. But the introduction is here. It says, The human brain is made of millions of neurons placed in an organized manner to ensure the working of the organ. These neurons communicate with each other using specialized chemicals called neurotransmitters. These chemicals are of several types, and the release varies and depends on several different factors. We know a lot about the brain, and there is a lot that we do not know. But with this complexity and unique coordination of systems, we have barely scratched the surface. The human brain is the least understood part of the whole body. This control unit made of organic matter is remarkably complex and is a conundrum of its own. The primary function and coordination are pretty defined. The enigma of deeper understanding remains. 
There are pathways and complex neural connections that are still unknown to humans. The basic communication patterns are known, but how the information is coded in the same chemical is beyond understanding. Behavioral patterns, decisions, preferences, beliefs, systems originate in the brain, but all processes are unclear. The paradox of memory and emotion is a question of its own. As you think about all those things, uh, memory is a very complex situation, a circumstance with us in the brain. If you look at your brain, what's happening, the hippocampus is located somewhat in the center of the brain, and all memories travel through the hippocampus when you, when you begin to formulate or when you take in input. Like, think of yourself for a moment. Just look around the room you're in, Nikki. You'll see different things. Certain things will stand out to you more significantly than, than others. For instance, where I'm sitting, I think the plants and the pictures tend to hit me first. And those bring on emotions. When I look at plants, I feel more relaxed. Uh, some of the pictures do the same thing or they spark a memory. But if you think about it, all this input goes in to your, through your eyes, through your ears, uh, things you touch, all the, f the five senses are associated with memory. As you grow from the time you're a baby and, and move onward, input comes into us in different ways through those five senses, and each individual begins to develop significant associations with specific types of input. For instance, some become more visual learners, and more that memory uh, mm -hmm. becomes from more visual input. Uh, touch is a significant thing too. And hearing is another one. Taste, uh, smell, all these things interact and go in through the brain, in through the hippocampus, and are spread out throughout the brain. When studies have been done on the brain, they find that we're not really, sometimes you think, oh, we're like a computer, we got long-term memory and short-term memory. But the reality of it is, your whole brain lights up when they do studies of the brain and MRIs uh, and other studies where thing that you begin to recall isn't just coming from one place in the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's very fascinating and interesting and, and very confusing to scientists because it's like, you know, it would be much easier to figure it out if it was just like, okay, that memory is stored over in this part of the brain and that memory is stored over in that part of the brain, but it comes from all over the place, a combination of things, like things that go into your, through your eyes actually goes to the back of your brain and then is added in. But there's a simple fact that the more input tied to an experience, typically the more you will remember that. Yeah, I've heard that like the more um, or the higher emotion, like emotionality of like a situation, the more likely you are to remember it. Yes, and we'll go into that a little bit more. Let me just give the uh, their de definition of memory. In scientific terms, memory is defined as the encoding, storage, and retrieval of an experience. In a simpler meaning, it is a recollection of the past, remembering a number just long enough to dial it and the complete mental image of your wedding day or your trip to Greece decades ago are all memories. You think about that, everything we tied to in our life is all based on our memories. All our reactions to the present are based on our memories of the past and our experiences of the past. Oftentimes the triggers, we don't necessarily relate emotion to the present, but we don't necessarily remember the specific memory connected to that current emotion. But if you can 
think about it and link it back like what we do in our mind-body balance type uh, therapies here in our clinic. Connect the the present with the past and, and oftentimes people during the therapies will recall memories they haven't thought about in a long time. But it's all connected to an emotional reaction of, to a current present experience. Certainly. I mean, I had that happen lots of times during my sessions where she'd say like, oh, uh, an emotion at age nine or at age 30 or and then I would think and something would pop into my head and it was like oh well yeah this happened that makes sense yeah but I wouldn't think about that thing unless if it was brought up right but you might be in a situation where all of a sudden you feel anxiety or you feel fear or you feel anger or you feel happy and you think maybe it's just that experience you're experiencing right then and there but your emotional reaction is based on all those past experiences you've experienced since the time you were born. So it's all interlinked. Here's some more info here. It says something as simple as remembering the day's tasks involves complex brain work at the back end. The complete archive of it stored in the brain defines who you are, our behavior, perceptions, and beliefs. Ordinary tasks of daily routine and complex ones like learning a new language are all memory-based. In broader terms, memory is something that has got the human race on the top of the evolutionary chain. Wait, does that mean like animals don't remember things? We do know that depending on the level of <clears throat> intelligence from an amoeba up to, you know, us, different animals, I mean, that's one of the things they base intelligence on is what do animals remember? Uh, dogs can remember tasks that they're repeatedly taught, right? And, and we're the same way. I think about uh, when I've studied in school, my memory often can memorize things like for a test. And I'll cram it all in and then go take the test. Ask me a week later, I probably wouldn't remember 50% of what I just studied. Mm -hmm. But if I repeat it over and over and over and go over the material over and over and over again and continue to, from time to time, go back and cover that material, eventually... It's at some point it sticks, and I think that's the way it is oftentimes. Like if you take a dog and and are able to train it to perform a task, if you repeat that task over and over and over again with it, eventually it sticks. And so you come up with a treat and say, "Do this or do that," and and the dog does it. However, I've discovered with our own dog, some of the things he once was able to do because we haven't continued to repeat that task, and maybe months have gone by that he's actually forgotten some things. Now we can reteach it to him and, and, and get him to do it again with a little practice. So there's something in there still there. But overall, if you consider all creatures, I think even to the level of microorganism, there are things set into their memory uh, related typically to survival. And we all have that survival mode as well. One of the things that, that places uh, experiences into our mind is trauma. Uh, fear, anxiety, anger, those things do set memories into our mind more easily than happy experiences, ironically. Mm -hmm. And part of that is to, is because of the need to survive. All creatures are constantly in a state of, I need to survive, I need to continue to exist, is part of your survival mode. I wonder if that's because, like, when you're in survival mode. Yeah, and certain people are different. You've, you've met people, I'm sure, who uh, seem to always be happy. And other people who seem to always be sad or tend to be more prone to anger, frustration or fear and anxiety. I think for some, it becomes a learned process and stuck into their memory that 
for some reason, they, they found that they are more capable of continuing to maintain their their level of survival through the negative emotions rather than the positive ones. Yeah, you're right. I mean, some people just have more tendency toward positive, and they just always seem up. Yes. amazing. And uh, I would have to say, too, uh, I think people that are more positive tend to have better memories, but not all, of course. uh, Let me talk a little bit about the differences between short-term and long-term memory. Okay. Short-term memory has a time span ranging from seconds to a few minutes. They are stored temporarily and then either get to the long-term memory storage or they are discarded. Let us say someone gives us a mobile number. As the number is new, so our memory will retain it for the short term. There are the possible chances that we are going to forget about this number after a few minutes. Uh, Do you remember phone numbers easily? Well, I used to when I used to have to, but now that everything is just like in the cell phone, I don't really think about it as much, so... Right. Not really. For most of us, I think we need to force memories into long-term memory. I used to, when I was a kid, people would often say, how do you remember that? Learn phone numbers and you're right today. I don't bother learning them because it's all stored in a computer in your phone. And there's a lot of things I don't bother trying to really set into long-term memory because I know I can go find it again on my computer or my phone. Yeah. It, and I think that's a learned thing. You know, the, there are things, especially in this article we'll get to, that talk about how, you know, oftentimes you've heard it said, oh, we have all this space in our brain that's never used. Uh, then you have others that have their perspective that we're using everything in there all the time. This article talks about how we do make space, that, that forgetting things actually makes space for new memories to be created. And I think that's more theory necessarily than fact, but it's based on their research. Let's talk a little bit about long-term memory. These are the memories stored in the brain over a more extended period. They are several short-term memories organized to form a long memory that is stored permanently. Depending upon the importance and number of recalls, it can fade or be remembered forever. For example, you can recall your 18th birthday, but not what you ate on Monday three weeks ago. <laughs> classifications of long-term memories there are several kinds of memories depending on a, upon the portion of, of the brain involved and the type of information they can vary a great deal there's things like explicit memory these are the memories that require the conscious effort of recalling as a friend's baby shower three years ago or the knowledge like the earth is a planet explicit memories you tend to sit for instance the earth is a planet uh, do you have to think about that being a memory Something said to you as a child, right? You may have learned that in uh, preschool or kindergarten. The Earth is a planet. Oh, what's a planet? Okay, a planet is an orb. Here they are. Here's a bunch of them. Let's show some pictures. Okay, that's a planet. Okay, that's a planet. Maybe as a small child, you might not remember every detail to that as you were first told it. But how many times have you seen that in the news or i mean it's probably been millions of times throughout your life that oh the planet mars the planet earth the planet this the planet that so those things are are stuck in there let's see episodic these comprise the events of one's life for example a graduation day a particular christmas morning these memories are are edited by the brain over time when we call them in specific context they're not very reliable Brain's ability to retain episodic memory depends on the number of sensory stimuli involved in the emotions. 
That's where I was talking about. The more your five senses are used during an experience, the more likely you are to remember it. Oftentimes, you know, like listening to this podcast, you probably easily forget what we had to say. Minutes from the time you turn us off to hours to days, whatever it might be, or there might be some specific thing that we say that might stick out in your mind and might stick with you for a time because you think, I can use that, or that could be beneficial to me. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any, any comments related to that? No, I mean, I always, yeah. Like, I think that's why we um, tend to do, like, the wrap-up at the end, because a lot of times you hear so many different things in a podcast, and then when you are summarizing, I think it helps people to remember, like, oh, okay, those are the, my takeaways. Yeah, very good. We always appreciate you doing that. Semantic memories. These memories are the general facts and knowledge of things around us. Like cats or mammals, Earth has one moon, and a year has 12 months. These memories get updated with new pieces of information. Phenomenon of forgetting is involved in making a place for new facts without cause cognitive dissonance. Hmm, that's an interesting term. So they're saying that we forget things so that we can uh, have new memories? That does happen. The brain does let go of things, although there are those that say, Everything's still in there. You've just lost your neural connection to it. I think oftentimes you can recall lost memories through hypnosis. That I, I tend to believe that everything is still in there. Everything mm. you experience through life is recorded and kept in that brain. Uh, though, though this article might tend to argue that point in some cases. Uh, I think everything's in there. It's just your ability to access it becomes disconnected or, or becomes difficult. But the neural pathways and all the neurons that exist, you know, age, as we age, we begin to, to lose those connections. And traumatic experiences can, can cause the loss or the opposite, the embedding of a memory that you can't seem to forget. Sometimes we want to forget things and it just doesn't seem like we ever can, right? Yeah, true. You have those at times? Yeah, like I remember um, we lost um, at the state tournament and high school basketball girls basketball uh-huh. and I just remember like the feeling of like turning the ball over with a minute to go and just feeling horrible and for so long I felt so horrible about that you know and it was just one moment during the game um, but I think yeah like you feel so bad and it's such a strong emotion that it sticks with you for so long and it's hard to get rid of that when you want to exactly that's a good one Let's see, memory storage in the brain. Generally, we might see a similarity in storage devices or a hard drive and the brain, but they are hardly alike. Unlike storage devices, memory in mind is not stored at a specific location, and the brain structure is not like a hard drive. It is much more complex, and memories are stored all over it. This is evident with the brain scan. Suppose we are looking at the brain activity of a person recalling a past event. The image will show several neurons firing up located in several different parts of the brain. So that's where I'm talking about. And I think one of the reasons that occurs is because our five senses are connected to different parts of the brain. Your eyes tend to be connected to the back part of your brain. Your hearing, uh, again, 
coming through on two sides in two different areas and your right ear may hear a little different sound or hear it a little differently than the left depending on the direction of the sounds or if there's sounds associated with an experience. I mean, think about it. When you watch a movie, I always thought it'd be cool if the TV could put out uh, odors or have something you could actually feel in the process. Now, of course, all the... Uh, stuff they're doing with games now where you can put on the headset and and uh, experience the the feeling of the event adds to it so they they can hit those different senses but they're they're still not hitting the, they've got the sight the sound and they're getting some feelings of touch uh, they've still got to work on the smell and the taste uh, when they add all those things together uh, you, you tend to uh, connect even better. However, how often do you remember what you ate uh, at a restaurant? Unless there was some kind of an event that occurred, so some special get-together where you're eating food. But if you go to, say, a wedding, uh, weddings tend to be more embedded in a person's brain than, or, or funerals, or things that uh, where you tie in all the senses in one form or another, because you typically are eating, right? You go to the reception, mm -hmm. you eat, you you touch, you shake hands, you have lots of interaction. Uh, I'm sure you can remember a lot of events tied to your wedding. Oh, yeah. The birth yeah, of a so child. Mm -hmm. You know, the mother always remembers those things a lot more than the father does because the father doesn't experience all those, have all those different senses tied to a birth of a baby, right, that, that a mother does. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, the pain. So here I like this one. Memory shape our perception, our reality. Everything we are and everything we will ever be is all dependent on memory. Human belief systems, perceptions, and learning are all memory related. Our consciousness is the ultimate reality of us as people with personality and preference. Memories defined actions and actions are what we become. Makes sense to me. So basically, your memory of your experiences in life are what you are today. All your responses, all the things you say, all the things you think are because of your past and the way you remember that past. Yeah, they definitely shape, like you said, how you view things, your opinions, your um, your conversations. Like I was having a conversation with someone today about um, an actor and he said, this person is not as nice in real life as, you know, his character is on camera and I was like oh that's funny because I remember watching a show where he um you know those home makeover shows where like a celebrity will come in and they'll like redo their parents house or something like that so this guy came in and redid his parents house for them which I was like you know maybe he's really great with his family but he just you know had a bad day and said the wrong thing or so I remembered him differently than that person had experienced him Yes, I wrote a poem once, though I can't remember it by word, about that. I said something called about everyone knows a different me and how everyone perceives who you are differently because their memories with you are different, right? Yeah. Some people like you, some people don't. Some people had a bad experience with you, some people had great experience with you. And so, you know, wow. take 20 people who you know and stick them all in front of you and see if, you know... You, you want them all to say the same good things about you, but the likelihood and the reality is it's probably not going to be the case. That's true. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a certain percentage that you just don't click with, right? And then there's going to be a certain percentage that you really click with. Yes. And connecting also, moving on a little bit here, false memories and memory implantation. We tend to want to believe that our memories are telling us the truth. 
that everything we remember was actually the way it happened. And the reality of it is, it gets distorted in our brain. And that can be due to, you know, in the next podcast, we're going to talk about memory and nutrition. We're going to talk about memory and exercise. We'll see where we go from there. But all those things can connect to creating false memories. The other kind of creepy thing here that uh, this article talks a little bit about is memory implantation. Years ago, I remember it uh, coming out in the news that, oh, a child remembered abuse by a parent or a relative, and uh, some even famous and popular people, their children were saying things about them, and they discovered in some cases that that never happened. How they were able to prove such things, I'm not sure. don't remember specific details, but come to find out that uh, psychologists had, had led people while they were doing therapy to uh, believe things that actually never occurred. In an, in an attempt, I suppose, to draw out memories or discover the person's problem or the emotional issues they were having, they actually uh, accidentally or intentionally implanted m untrue memories into a person's brain. Uh, and then the person actually began to believe that's what actually happened to them. And so very scary and, and weird uh, to think wow. about this. See, here it says, uh, as much as we can trust our brain in keeping the records of everything, it can go through specific alterations. Our memories, especially the episodic ones, are reconstructed and can be falsely stored. One called pop culture representation of false memory we have seen is in the movie Inception. Tit resolves around going into someone's subconscious and planting the idea or memory that was not there. So that's what I'm talking about. Progress in psychology has proven that memory implantation is indeed possible. With therapy, the memories can be manipulated and new memories can be implanted. Reasons behind forgetting. The brain can store a large sum of data in it, but some things are lost. Forgetting is as essential as retaining something. It helps make new memories. Otherwise, we will never progress into the future. And the brain is good, our body's good, because it does allow us to forget, especially the traumatic experiences. Forgetting is important, especially in those cases, like you said about the basketball game and the feelings of, you know, like, oh, we lost. The frustration and all the sorrow felt and, and uh, defeat it can be very devastating. But the brain allows you to forget those emotions tied to that so that you can still think of it and, oh, yeah, we lost, oh, well, you know, but you don't uh, get devastated by it like you were at the time it happened. You almost have to reprogram your memory. Like, okay, let's think about the positive parts of that, the fact that you made it there, you know, and you made this many points or you had a great trip with your friends or, like, you just have to, like, retrain your brain to think about the positive. I had to do that. Yep, and that's what the mind-body balance work we do is about, too. Sometimes you tag or hold on to things in your subconscious, and the only way to let go of the emotions connected to it is to go back into that memory and disconnect it with the triggers. And that's kind of what happens in the therapies we do, is where you're not, you're not eliminating the memory. You're just eliminating the triggers that, that cause it to bring back the anxiety, the fear, the anger, the frustration. And that's really... When you talk about PTSD, that's that traumatic experience that you just can't let go of the emotions. And you may not necessarily be thinking of that experience again, but a new experience may trigger it. Or even brief, subtle experiences may trigger it. Like a person who something occurs and they get really angry over it and, it's, and everybody's standing around and go, what was such a big deal about that 
thing that made them so angry over that. It wasn't that big of a deal to the rest of us. But boy, did they get angry about it. Well, that's because whatever that little thing was brought back all the emotions connected to a previous experience that in their subconscious is still connected to the present mind. And, and then maybe not go back and think about that experience that got them so angry, but it triggered it in the present because of their connection to that experience in the past. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, yeah, totally. I can recall people having those experiences or myself, you know, even. Yes. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to mention here that they talk about in this article, and, and maybe you've heard of this, have you ever heard the term the memory palace? No. Okay. Well, I found this a little bit interesting. It says, memory palace or mind place technique is a process of actively archiving important information in an organized manner. It is a compartment technique in which you visualize the space and store memories in certain rooms and areas. Have you heard of that before? No. No? Suppose you want to remember a certain sequence. You envision the room and associate them with certain components of the course. So when you want to remember a sequence, you walk through the place in decided order. And I've done this before, and, and I created a memory CD, actually. Uh, uh, and one of these days, I'm going to throw it up online so people can use it. But I used it... Uh, I did do acupuncture in Colorado, and when I took this test, it, it uh, um, had uh, a couple hundred questions on it and 500-hour course and full of all kinds of information, and of course, working and, and raising a family, all that made it hard to, to remember things. Well, I came across to how the connection between sound, that, that when your brain is in, in theta waves, you tend to remember or implant more into your brain when you're more in a calm state than you are when in an agitated state when it comes to learning anyway, learning uh, information. Brainwave patterns such taking theta waves over and over and over again in the background and listening to some some music connected to it. But I, I did very well on the test. I can't remember, I got a 95 on or something and I didn't really study very hard for it. What I did is I listened to this, this CD and reviewed all the information for about three hours over and over and over again. And then I, I didn't study right before, but I played the CD and then went in and took the test and I was amazed at how well it worked. Now, uh, did it set into long-term memory? Some did, some didn't. Uh, enough to where I was able to use it clinically, uh, the information, but I obviously didn't remember every little detail. But anyway, wow. the memory palace is a little bit different. The memory palace, and I've done this before too, where you're trying to learn a task or you're, or you're trying to learn um, a process where you think in your mind and, and you see, like you create a house in your mind with several rooms in it or a building. And then you, you take, as you're studying, you, you see in your mind, okay, that word or that number or that bit tidbit of information is in room one and the next is in room two. And, and then when you're trying to recall it, you go back into the house and you go, okay, and room one was this. Oh, and room two was this and room three was that. And I've found that to be very useful when uh, trying to recall things as well. Wait, so you like, have, like you visualize a room in your house? Yes. Yeah. Or learn- create a building in your mind. It doesn't have to be your own house, but can be your own house. And you place information in each room and then when you go back to try to recall it you're able to remember it more because you go back into that room in your mind and you know what information is stored there yeah it works the memory is quite a thing (laughs) it really is on that note i think we uh, covered as much as we're going to cover on what is memory today of course we'll discuss some of the things we're discussing today in in the future podcast the next one will be on uh, memory and nutrition and how our nutrition affects our memory 
All right, you covered short and long-term memory, the definition of memory, which is the encoding, storage, and retrieval of, of an experience, as well as the memory implantation and the memory palace, so among other things. Thank you so much, Dr. Cal. This has been very educational. Thank you, Nikki. Yes, and thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thanks, everyone. We appreciate our listeners. Hope you're continuing to enjoy and uh, Learn from our podcast. Until we meet again in the classroom, Dr. Kell. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Professor Kell. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For questions or comments, please email us at healthtalkwithdrkell at gmail.com. That's D-R-K-E-L-L at gmail.com. You'll find the lowest prices on standard process whole food supplements at Holistic Health. Dot standardprocess.com. As always, we recommend you seek nutritional advice from a qualified healthcare professional before starting a supplement program. And for natural and organic health and hygiene products, see our sponsor's website at oceanbaynaturals.com. While we make every effort to broadcast correct information, we are still learning. We will double check all facts, but realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and art. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another. We are simply presenting our views on how to live a healthy lifestyle that will be as evidence-based as possible. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. We take no money from drug or device companies. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Kel Fullerton or any guests or any contributors to the podcast or any employees, associates, or affiliates of Dr. Kel Fullerton be responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast. This blog should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis of expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. Our website, blog, and podcasts are all HIPAA compliant. While you may give your email address to subscribe to the website posts or to post information on the website blog, we will never share your email address or contact information with any third parties without your explicit permission. The contents of Health Talk with Dr. Kell podcast and the show notes are all copyrighted. All blog posts, podcasts, and show notes that are distributed to the public for free can be redistributed via hard copy or electronic copy for free only if Health Talk with Dr. Kell is included as the acknowledged author within the actual media that is being redistributed. The Health Talk with Dr. Kell podcast is a production of The Orange Stack with executive producers Dr. Kell Fullerton and Eric Hammond and hosts Nikki Sterling. Thank you.